Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. With me this morning to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Now, um, I love the old movie Secondhand Lions. And if you haven't seen that movie, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you this morning, if that's all right. It's a movie about these two crotchety old curmudgeons named Hub and Garth who live out in West Texas. And oh, as the movie goes along, this nerdy little kid named Walter at one point gets abandoned and dropped off on Hub and Garth's front porch. Now, listen. The last thing that Hub and Garth want to do is to take care of some snot-nosed little kid. They just don't have room in their hearts for 10-year-old Walter. But what else are you going to do? So they take him in. And as this summer winds on, Uncle Hub and Uncle Garth, they don't have any television in the house. So to pass the days and entertain young Walter, Uncle Garth just starts telling these stories, these stories of he and Hub's younger years. And as Garth tells these stories, he tells stories about how the younger version of Uncle Hub was this romantic warrior, this kind of swashbuckling hero who would go off to these exotic places, sword in hand to rescue his damsel in distress, and all the while trying to outwit his enemy, this cunning Arabian sheik. And as the summer wears on and Uncle Garth is telling these stories to young Walter, something begins to happen. That as, as Hub and Garth are telling these stories, they begin to relive these stories. They begin to re-inhabit these stories. And slowly but surely, their hard hearts begin to soften and their old bodies start to act a little younger and they start to do these crazy things. Hub and Garth, they have this big old stash of cash in the house that they've just been sitting on and so they start to spend it. And they buy some garden tools and garden seeds and they plant a garden. And, you know, they had previously, before Walter, they'd spent their days just sitting on the front porch with their shotguns shooting at traveling salesmen. But now they buy a clay pigeon thrower so they can shoot their shotguns at clay pigeons because you really shouldn't shoot at traveling salesmen. It's bad for your health, apparently. And, and they buy a, a biplane and, and they buy a boat. And of all things, they buy a lion. A second-hand lion, this old zoo cast-off who's kind of long in the tooth, and all this lion wants to do is just finish out her days in peace. But amazingly, the story of the lion kind of parallels the story of Uncle Hub and Uncle Garth. And, and when this lion arrives, this lion even kind of inhabits this second life and gets a second wind, and the lion itself goes out in a blaze of glory, and so do Hub and Garth. As the movie goes on, Hub and Garth, they confront bullies and they chase down thieves and they call forth a courage and a manhood in young Walter that he did not know that he had. And even in their old age, Hub and Garth end up as vibrantly full of life as they had been in their younger years. And, and toward the end of the story, they actually end up also going out in a blaze of glory. Hub and Garth die late into their 90s after crashing their biplane, attempting to fly it upside down through their barn. <laughs> Not a bad way to go out in my book. <laughs> and when Walter, who's now a grown man, hears about this plane crash, he comes to survey the scene and he gets out of the car and he sees this plane-shaped hole in the barn <laughs> and he can't help but just kind of nod his head and laugh. And then all of a sudden, as he's doing that, this helicopter comes and lands over there by the tree, and this tall, young, Middle Eastern man steps out of the helicopter. He's about Walter's age, and Walter realizes this is the grandson of Uncle Hub's old rival, the Arabian Sheik. 
And he too had grown up hearing these same stories of those same treasure hunts and sword fights and daring rescue attempts. And this young man, had, he'd heard about the plane crash on the radio and he just decided he had to come see it for himself. And so he steps out of the helicopter and he says, so it's really true. All, all these stories I heard my, their, my grandfather talking about, about these, these two men, these two men really lived. And in the best line of the whole movie, Walter smiles and he says, yes. They really lived. So what about you? Someday when your story gets told, will they be able to say that? Yeah, they really lived. Because around here, we don't care at all about your resume, but we care a whole lot about your obituary. And someday, when, when your life is remembered, when they tell your story, can they say about you, will they say about me, will they say about us that they really lived? I want that, don't you? Y'all awake this morning? Yeah, I want that, I want that. And yet, we want that, but we also look around at our normal everyday lives, don't we? Because we live these normal everyday lives of errands and paychecks and doctor's appointments and you got to go to work and you got to pay the bills and the to-do lists. And we look at our everyday lives and if you're anything like me, sometimes you just hunger for something deeper, don't you? You hunger for something more. There's an old philosopher guy named Blaise Pascal who said it like this. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception, he says. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. He says, the will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. He says, you all want to be happy. We all want satisfaction. We all want to really live and so it means different things for all of us. And so every one of us, we have a dream in our minds of what we should do next, get next, where we should go next, what we should achieve next to move us closer to that goal that we have of really living. I've heard it said before that most people aren't on a truth quest. They're on a satisfaction quest. And we have that little voice in our head that thinks that, right? Like if I could, if I could just get out of school, if I could get out of debt, if I could find a husband, if I could find a wife, if we could have a baby, if we could just make enough money to go on vacation, have a nicer car, a little bit nicer house, if, if work would just slow down a little bit, if my health would just cooperate, then, then, then I'd be good. Then I'd be really living. But most of us in here have lived long enough, haven't we, that we've actually gotten to check some of that stuff off that list? And when we did, it didn't really do the trick, did it? There's a guy in the Bible, his name was Solomon. He's one of the wealthiest and most successful and powerful monarchs in world history. And he said, all of it is just a chasing after the wind. Have you ever tried to chase the wind? How's that going for you? And yet we keep chasing, don't we? Um, years ago, there was a naturalist 
who did a study on processionary caterpillars. Now, I am not a naturalist, but I've learned a little bit this week about processionary caterpillars, and processionary caterpillars get their name because they march in a procession, like a little tiny furry thousand-legged parade, right? And this naturalist got a bunch of these little processionary caterpillars, and he put them in a round flower pot, and he set them inside this circular flower pot, and they started marching, doing their little caterpillar thing in their little procession, marching round and round the perimeter of that flower pot, and he watched these caterpillars as they marched, hour after hour, circle after circle for three days. And then on day three, he took some pine needles and he placed them in the center of the flower pot. He did that because pine needles are apparently a processionary caterpillar's favorite kind of food. The amazing thing was that not one of those caterpillars broke rank. They kept marching circle after circle, hour after hour, for four more days until one by one, every single caterpillar rolled over and died of starvation inches from their favorite food. Do I even need to preach that or can you get there on your own? <laughs> this is the way of the world, isn't it? Just marching round and round and round and round, trying to get you to follow everybody else, chase what everybody else is chasing without ever really living. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief comes only, the only reason the thief comes is to steal and kill and destroy. Now, if you'll let me nerd out here for just a second, the Greek word for thief is kleptase. The Greek word for to steal is klepto. You'll be able to tell that's where we get our word kleptomaniac, right? That's how we describe somebody who can't help but steal. They have like this compulsively hardwired impulse toward thievery. And Jesus is saying, that's what the devil is. He just can't help but steal from you. It's the only reason that he's here. He comes and he can't help but take life from you. And it is an aid to the world that he has hardwired and rigged for your disappointment. So in light of that, what do we do? There's two main options I can think of. Option number one is to say, well, you're obviously chasing something, going round and round, and you're never actually going to get it, so you should abandon the pursuit of happiness. But that doesn't sound like very much fun. And so option number two is keep pursuing happiness, just chase the right thing. Just do it in the right way. C.S. Lewis was a great thinker from the last century, and that's, that's what he said. He was reflecting on these promises that Jesus offers, these rewards he offers in the Gospels for people who will chase after him. And Lewis writes this. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. In other words, God is not looking down at us today saying, I can't believe they are pursuing their own pleasure. Rather, he's saying, they're not pursuing it hard enough. Lewis goes on. He says, they are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
and your desire for satisfaction, your pursuit of happiness in this urge that you have to really live, he says, you are far too easily pleased. Now, um, maybe for some of you in the room right now, let's pause for a second, there might be an alarm bell going off in the back of your mind thinking, this sounds a little bit selfish. Sounds a little self-centered like the pursuit of happiness. Isn't that a little bit shallow? And if you're thinking that, then here's my challenge. I would challenge you to pick up your Bible this week and try to prove me wrong because it's all throughout Scripture. For example, let's go back to the Old Testament, to the wisdom literature. In the wisdom literature, it's a set of books in the Old Testament, and one of those books is the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by that guy named Solomon that we talked about earlier, and Solomon had it all. He was like an ancient Elon Musk, except more so, right? Like imagine Elon Musk times 10. Solomon had all the wealth. He had all the women. He had all the wisdom. He had all the power, the achievements. He had the resume. He had everything, and yet if you go read the book of Ecclesiastes, you might know his refrain about all that. He looks at everything he's got and he says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. He says, I've had it all, but nothing under the sun can satisfy. That's his line. In other words, he says, I have this amazing life, but I haven't really lived. That's Ecclesiastes. Another book in the Old Testament wisdom literature is the book of Job. Job was this really righteous guy who was also very wealthy, but he didn't just have it all. He ended up losing it all through this series of events. Like as the book goes on, like you find out about Job that his friends stink and his marriage stinks and he loses his wealth and he loses his health. He even loses his entire family. And yet at the end of the book, after all that suffering, he says, yeah, even in the face of all that, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I don't understand why all of this happened, but I do know that God was right and that with him I have everything I need. That's amazing. That Solomon had it all and it didn't satisfy. And that Job lost it all, but he was satisfied. And I think maybe the reason God gives us these two books is that you will never have as much as Solomon and you will never suffer as much as Job. And so you can trust both of these guys when they tell you that the key to the satisfaction your heart is longing for, the key to really living, is nothing under the sun. So where is it? How do, how do we get this satisfaction? How do we really live? Jonathan Edwards is widely regarded as perhaps the greatest intellectual that America has ever produced. He said this, he said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven to fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. He says, those are but the shadows but the enjoyment of God is the substance. Those are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. Those are but streams, God is the fountain. Those are but drops, but God is the ocean. I think Jesus would agree with him. Jesus said it like this in that verse we read earlier, John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only, the only reason he's here is to steal and kill and destroy. He says, but I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. Jesus says the whole reason he came is so that you could really live, so that you could become fully alive. That's why Jesus came. So it begs the question then, right? Like, okay, cool. How do we get that? Sounds awesome. <laughs> and, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be digging deep here in John chapter 10, and we'll, we'll explore this whole idea more as we go along. But for today, I want to just dwell with you on two bedrock principles for how to live this life that Jesus came to give you, how to be fully alive like he promised we could be. Here's principle number one. Jesus gives it to us here in verses one through five. Jesus says this. He's using the metaphor of sheep, you'll notice. He says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So Jesus says principle number one, if you want to really live, is you have to know his voice. Know his voice. Now, in ancient times, sometimes a bunch of shepherds would bring all their flocks together to spend the night in one common sheep pen area. And in the morning, how they would sort all the sheep out is each shepherd would kind of go back out of the sheep pen and they'd just start calling out for their individual sheep. And each sheep would recognize the voice of its own shepherd and they would filter themselves out accordingly, each one following his own. Pretty amazing. Now, um, I have never raised sheep before, but my little brother Carl is a little bit of a hick. I think he was destined to be a hillbilly with the name Carl. Let's just call a spade a spade. Not quite sure what my parents were thinking. I'm just glad I'm Luke. Um, but Carl is a hillbilly, and so he's in college, and he's decided that he's going to pay his way through college by starting this farm. So the, for the last few years, he's raised pigs and sheep and cows and all, all that good stuff to pay his way through college, and he calls his farm the Chicken Bacon Ranch which I got to give it to him. That's pretty good. Like, it's not bad. Um, and, and when he gets a whole little herd of flock or whatever of sheep, he also gives names to all of his sheep. And so to the female sheep, he names them like Susan and Barb and Marge, because those are mom names, right? And then to the males, he gives them names like Ramses and Rambo, like all these male, like masculine ram names, right? And, and a couple years ago, there was this one little lamb that was born and they named her Cinnamon. And Cinnamon was really sickly when she was born, and so Carl took her inside and kind of nursed her back to health, bottle-fed her. But what accidentally happened is that Cinnamon imprinted on my brother Carl. It means that Cinnamon thinks Carl is her mama. And so uh, now, everywhere Carl goes, Cinnamon goes too. You can't get Carl without Cinnamon. They, they're like joined at the hip. I got a little video here. Look at this. This is my brother Carl, and that is Cinnamon. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cinnamon won't even hang out with the other sheep anymore. She won't go to her actual mama because she knows how Carl smells and she knows what Carl's face looks like and she knows the sound of Carl's voice. Isn't that pretty cute? Yeah. So again, like, do I even need to preach this, okay? <laughs> we want you to imprint on Jesus, okay? Know his voice. 
Now you've probably, I've talked about this before. You've probably heard other preachers talk about this before. We won't go too much into it, but you know that sheep are dumb, right? Like famously dumb, like accidentally wander away and eat themselves to death if you're not paying attention, kind of dumb. There's never been a sheep in history that had an obituary that said they really live. Like it's just not in a sheep's DNA. And so if a sheep wants to really live, it needs a shepherd. And Jesus says, we're sheep. Not particularly flattering, but he says, if you wanna really live, you gotta know the sound of your shepherd's voice. And that's harder than it sounds because there's gonna be a thousand other voices clamoring for your attention, aren't there? Whispering in your ear. Hey, look at this. Come check this out. You, you, don't, you don't deserve that. You do deserve this. Here, come, come, come do this. This will thrill you. This will fill you. This, this, will, this will kill you. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. The thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And when Jesus is talking about the thief there that's going to whisper to you, in context, he's actually talking about the Pharisees, who are these corrupt religious leaders who are going to lead people astray. We see that actually in the chapter right before this, John chapter 9. You can see the stuff the Pharisees were doing that was making Jesus mad Why he's saying this. But he's not just talking about the Pharisees. If you go back one chapter earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, he says actually, you guys are just puppets. You're just doing what the puppet master tells you to do. And the puppet master is the devil himself. And the devil's going to whisper to you. And the only reason he's come is to steal from you and to kill you and to destroy you. So if you want to really live, you have to know the sound of your shepherd's voice. That's principle number one. Here's principle number two. Jesus lays it out for us in verses 11 through 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. Don't brush by that too fast. He's not just any old shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. If you want to really live, number one, you have to know his voice. And number two, you have to trust his heart. Trust his heart. Because you don't need me to tell you this, but inevitably, life's going to get really, really hard. And you're going to get tired and you're going to get worried and you're gonna get confused, and you're gonna get sad, and you'll be discouraged, and you'll be disappointed. And in that moment, especially if you're a Christian, you're gonna think, Jesus, I thought following you was the way to really live. Is this the life to the full that you promised? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. And in that moment, you're gonna be tempted to turn to another voice. But good grief, this has been the story all along. This is how it goes for everybody. I mean, read your Bible for Pete's sake. Ask some of those Bible heroes about where their shepherd led them. 
Why did he kick you out of the garden, Eve? Why can't you get pregnant for the first nine decades of your life, Sarah? Why'd you have to leave your life in the palace and wander around in the desert, Moses? Why did he leave you in that pit to get sold into slavery, Joseph? Why are you having to hide in that cave, David? Why is he letting you get thrown in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? Why are your people still stuck in Persia, Esther? And sometimes if we're honest, the answer is, I don't know. I just know that he's good. And because he's a good shepherd, he will work it out for good, as he always has. And so in that moment, will you trust his heart? That he's not just any old shepherd, that he's a good shepherd, and that he wants good for you, and that he's leading you to something good, and that he's not just a hired hand who's using you to get some kind of a job done. Because when the wolf comes along, don't expect that $10 an hour rent-a-shepherd to save you. Any other shepherd will leave you high and dry. They'll let you down. People will fail you. Politicians will lie to you. Money will leave you. Family will betray you. There's only one good shepherd, and he laid down his life for you. So know his voice and trust his heart. Now, I know as we're talking about this, about knowing God's voice, trusting God's heart, being fully alive in him, like, it's a little bit hard to get your minds around. It's still a little bit like theoretical. It's sometimes hard to know, okay, but what does that actually look like in real life? And so over the next three weeks, we're going to get to share the story with you of one of your sisters here at PCC who is fully alive and is becoming fully alive. Her name's Sariah, and she's a very dear friend of mine. And we're going to get to share her story over the next three weeks of how she discovered here what God had in store for her of really living, hearing God's voice, and trusting God's heart, becoming fully alive in him. Check out Sariah's story. I was born in Tehran, Iran. Um, I do not know my biological parents. They put me in an orphanage. I was there from the time I was born to about two, two and a half, almost three. I then was adopted by an, a military family. From there, we lived in multiple places. We lived in Thailand, Germany, Japan. They were not healthy. My parents were Satan worshipers. I knew about God, but not in the way God really is, not his character and who he is. I learned that God is Satan and Satan was God, that God is bad and Satan was good. And through my years, that really molded and shaped my beliefs, my behaviors, my actions. My adopted mom had a significant drug problem. She owed a huge debt, and her and my dad began to traffic my sister and I. I was trafficked at the age of seven. It continued for years on, and I didn't know any different. This was normal, this was my life, this was who I was. I never thought that there could be anything different. We came to the United States. My sister ended up having a baby. My parents wanted to adopt the baby. She did not want them to have the baby. Somehow, somehow DCS got involved in that. And from that point on, they began to follow my sister and I. I was 
removed from the home in multiple foster homes. There in the foster home, there was trafficking going on. Once I graduated from high school, I, I enrolled in Ball State, and part of why I did it was there was such a void in my life. There was such a need to prove that I was enough, that I was good enough. So I went to school, I, I got my degree, and then I started wanting to do something more. I wanted to give back, and I took all the classes and became a foster parent. Loved being a foster parent, and I had one foster child that literally brought me in the doors of PCC. When I got her, she was three turning four, and I was the 13th foster home that she had been in. And I remember tucking her in going, what do I have to offer this child that all these foster parents have not given her? And, and I kept hearing, church, God, and I was like, mm -mm, no, no, no. There's no way I am exposing this child to something so horrific as church. And then we started passing PCC, and she would say, Mommy, can we go there because of the treehouse? And I would say, we don't go to places like that. It didn't matter if I tried a different route, no matter what I did. I ended up in the doors of PCC, and everything shifted. Everything changed. It wasn't an easy shift. It was very very hard. It was painful. A lot of things that I had never dealt with, you know, came, came into the light. I knew the depth of darkness and the depth of evilness. And I also know the depth of God's love and hope and restoration because I, I, I'm a living example of that. What you just saw in Soraya's life that's what God can do. He's a good shepherd. So no matter where you are today or no matter how far you've wandered or how confusing and messy your life is, we want to be the church for you because he is a good, good, good God. And when you trust his heart and you know his voice, he will always lead us to somewhere that is way better than anywhere we could have gone on our own. And that story that Sariah told me, don't you want to hear more stories like that told here? I do. Are you awake? You still there? Like, man. And that thing that she felt about, like, like, oh, I didn't even know this was possible. Like, this is what it means to really live. Like, this is what it means to be fully alive. We want you to know what that feels like, too. And so this is where we're going for the last couple of years as a church leadership, we've been praying and asking God to help us to be faithful to whatever he's calling us to do and whoever he has called us to be. And over about the last year specifically, we've been focusing big time on just one big question. It's a simple question. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus at Plainfield Christian Church? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus at Plainfield Christian Church? And my guess is right now that if you ask that question to 500 people, you would probably get 500 different answers. And so we want to help bring clarity to that question and clarity to you so that you can know what God has in store for you. Because look around. The world around you is just caterpillars marching in a circle. A whole lot of life, but not a lot of living, if you know what I mean. And in the middle of that, we get to be the church and we get to show them something different and we get to show them what Jesus has given to us, how to really live, how to be fully alive in him. 
Because you look around and you look at your own life and I look at my own life and we look around and we're, we're brokenhearted by the same things. I know we are. That we're living in a world where people are busy and anxious and politically divided and technologically distracted and we have a generation that's strung out on pornography and we've got people coming in this room every single week with stale marriages and we've got people who are strung out on pills and dependent on caffeine just to get through the day even though they don't want to be and we're crumbling under our addiction to success and we're exhausted from this hamster wheel that we're on of image management and good grief. We are living in Hendricks County in the buckle of the Bible Belt well, we've all achieved the American dream that we were told would make us happy, and we've done the stuff, and we bought the thing, and we got the house, and the family, and the job, and the promotion, and the trips to Disney, and the vacations, and it still didn't satisfy that nagging in our soul. Because what you need most is not a vacation, or a self-help book, or a Bible study, or a prayer trick. What you need most is not five ways to bulletproof your marriage and 10 tips to raising healthy kids. What you need most is your heart fully alive in Jesus. That's where we're going. As of today, all of our previous mission statements and vision statements and logos and metrics and all that stuff are officially retired. And uh, for the last several months, the elders and the staff, we have been fasting and praying, and we're excited to share with you this morning our mission as a church, that from here on out, Plainfield Christian exists to help you become fully alive in Jesus. That's our mission. We're here to help you become fully alive in Jesus. Because I want it to be said of me, I want it to be said of you, I want it to be said of us someday that when our story is told, we really lived. I do not care about your resume, but I care a lot about your obituary. We want to be fully alive in him. Begs the question then, right? Like, okay, cool. But what does fully alive in Jesus actually mean? Good question. I'm glad you asked. It means three things. For every single person at Plainfield Christian Church, we want you with Jesus in community on mission. That's what it means to be fully alive in Jesus. Really simple. We want you with Jesus in community and on mission. Whether this is your first time hearing the good news of Jesus or whether you've been walking with the Lord for as long as you can remember, whether you're nine years old or 99 years old, our desire for you is the same. We want you fully alive with Jesus in community on mission. Now, uh, we're going to break that apart a lot more here in the weeks to come. This is kind of what our whole series is going to be about. But let me just hit it here real quick for you. Number one, we want you with Jesus. We don't want you to just agree with a set of doctrines or to recite a creed. We want you to know the voice of the shepherd. We want you to know him. A few chapters later in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus did not say, I came to teach you about the way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I came to tell you about the truth. He said, I am the truth. I didn't come to teach you about life. He said, I am the life. If you want to be fully alive, it has to be in him. We want you with Jesus wherever you are on your faith journey. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. We want you in community. I read a study a while back. I don't even remember where it was, so please don't ask me. But I read a study about all the like subgroups in the country that over the pandemic, every single group in our country, their collective anxiety went up during COVID except for one group. The only group in our country whose anxiety did not go up during COVID was regular church attenders. If you're going to follow Jesus, we got to follow Jesus together. Sheep need a flock. Here's the third thing. We want you with Jesus in community and on mission. 
There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. God made you for a mission and a specific purpose that he has for you to accomplish. He's given you gifts, resources, relationships, abilities, and experiences that he wants you to leverage for his purposes of the world for his glory. And if we're calling a spade a spade this morning, a lot of you are just bored, and bored people do dumb stuff. So we want to help you find a mission, okay? (laughs) Wherever you are, we want you with Jesus in community on mission. We're going to break that apart in the weeks to come. And this may sound clever to you. It's not. It's really simple. In fact, we didn't even invent this. Jesus did. Think about it for a second. What did Jesus say the two greatest commandments are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Pretty simple, with Jesus in community on mission. This is where we're going, and here's why I love this. This is not a vision for an organization. We're not blowing up our church DNA. We're not doing some major programmatic reshuffling. This is not a vision for an organization. It's a vision for discipleship. Because if you focus on building a church... You'll sometimes get disciples, but if you focus on building disciples, you'll always get the church. And so this is where we're going. Practically speaking, here's what this means. This means that in everything you are already doing, we want to aim everything as a church that we're doing to this end, to help you become fully alive in Jesus, with Jesus, in community, on mission. And yeah, we are going to be releasing some new like tools and stuff to kind of help you along the way. As of today, the new website has launched. It's still plainfieldchristian.com, but it's been totally revamped. You can go check it out. There's like the QR codes on the back of the seats in front of you that you can see, all that stuff. There's going to be t-shirts and all those kinds of things and stuff going on around the building and signs and all that good stuff. You'll see it. It's coming, right? Um, but, 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 the, but the goal of all of that is it's tools so that when the Holy Spirit prompts you and nudges you and says, hey, like you need to be with Jesus. You need to be in community. You need to be on mission. We want you to be able to know exactly how to respond in that moment to take the next step. That's what all this is for. And yes, along with that, we are having a new church logo as well. Some of you have already seen it. Here's the new church logo. Ta-da! I feel like I'm Vanna White or something. I don't quite know how to do this part. Um, but you, you'll notice like it, it the three lines here with Jesus in community on mission. I know there's a fourth line on that part. Bear with me, okay? But, but this is the new church logo. This is going to help us with things like branding and making sure all of our ministries are visually aligned and all, all that good stuff. But here's the thing about all this. We are really excited about this. I'm not going to lie to you. We're pumped about this. We've been working on it for a long time. Back in February, the elders and the executive team, after a time of prayer and fasting, we came together on a retreat and alive, arrived at all this language, unified to a man. We've been working on it toward this day until uh, ever since then. So we're pumped about this. But some of y'all been around here long enough. You've seen plenty of websites and, and like logos and catchphrases and all that kind of stuff, haven't you? These things come and go, and this won't be forever. But for this season, we're going to use this temporal tool to try to lead you to the eternal truth that does not change, which is the life that Jesus has made available for you through his death and his resurrection. Now, I know... Uh, All this is a lot to throw at you at once. So if you have questions, if you want to talk, if you want to learn more, all those kinds of things, our elders are going to be over there in the hub after the service today. I'd really encourage you to swing by there. They'd be happy to talk with you about any of this as well. And even if you don't want to talk about all this, but you haven't met the elders before, I'd encourage you just swing by, thank those guys for their leadership, the way they love and serve and care and pray and fast on behalf of this congregation. And I also have, I'm really excited that as you leave here and you turn in your affirmation 
application forms to affirm those elders. We have boxes for you to drop those in. There's four tables in the back of this lower level right here. And in the upper level, there's two tables outside on the corners. There's a box for you to drop your affirmation in. And as you go, there's also on those tables a whole bunch of these, these devotional journals that we wrote. We're gonna be calling these just fully alive journals. It's the best name we could think of. And these are gonna be a tool that we're gonna be using in our church moving forward to help you process, okay, hey, what does it look like for me to live with Jesus? How, how do I live in community? What is the mission that God has for me right now? It's got some stuff for you to work through. And it's also got a template in there for you to use in your daily time with Jesus because we want you to trust his heart and to know his voice. If you don't have a daily time with the Lord yet, this would be a great tool to help you get started. So I hope you'll grab one of those on the way out. They'll be available also in the weeks to come because we want you to know his voice, trust his heart. We want you to be fully alive in him. Would y'all stand with me as we prepare to close? Uh, Here's why you and I can be fully alive in Jesus today. In John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus was just talking about how he's the good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep. And, And he says this, he says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And that right there is what makes us and Jesus different. Because you and I can say, I have the authority to lay down my life. You can do that. You could lay down your life today in an act of heroism and give up your life. We just celebrated Veterans Day, right? But only Jesus can say, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. He's the only one who can say that. And the good shepherd did go and he laid down his life for us, his sheep on the cross on Friday night and he lay dead in the tomb on Friday night and on Saturday. But we know that on Sunday morning, he took his life back up again and he's risen from the dead. And today, because he is fully alive, you can be fully alive. So death can't hold you. The grave can't keep you. The casket is not the end of your story when you are fully alive in him. So someday, when you come to my funeral, And you gather around my casket and you look at pictures and you tell stories and you make fun of the way I look and and you sing songs. If you're there, please don't say, he really lived. Instead, how about you say, he really lives. Let's pray. King Jesus, you are alive. And because of that, God, we're gathered in faith. And all we know to do is just take you at your word. That you said you came so that we could be fully alive in you. Let it be true. And in your name, all God's people said, amen. Let's worship our King. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.